Good morning. My name is Cami. I'm part of the ministry team. I'm not the pastor. I'm just part of the ministry team here at the Epicenter. I haven't been here over the last few weeks. I've been working. God blessed me with a temporary job. I was providing some home health care for a friend's mother. And uh, she had had an emergency surgery and then some illness. And so she just needed a little bit of help. And so while I was there, there was a lot of time when she would just sort of fall asleep in her chair. She's, she's in her late 80s, early, late 80s. And, um, and so there were times when she would fall asleep. And so I had an, an opportunity to go back and listen to sort of my favorite hits of the Epicenter from Seismos, our podcast. And I got to say, a couple of them were my own sermons. I was ministering unto the Lord to myself, and I said, amen, amen, amen. And it was, it was some really good stuff. And, but I noticed, I've, I've always had this thing that I can notice patterns. And Pastor Easy, no matter what book, what scripture, what topic, he's going to preach about faith. And him being my spiritual father and me being his spiritual daughter, that spiritual apple didn't fall far from the spiritual tree because every time I tend to preach, it's about stinking thinking. It's, it's always about change the way you think because if you can change the way you think, you can change the way you live. And if you can change the way you live, you can change the things and the people around you and you can have a lasting impact. And so I see no reason to change the pattern. So we're going to talk about the way that we think. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's 18 verses. We're not going to read all 18 verses. We're going to jump around within the chapter. You can open up your Bible. But before we get to the text, I want to set up a premise because you never know what angle people are coming from. And depending on where they're coming from and then what you say, they could accidentally hear something that you didn't say because of the lens that they're looking at things through. So I want to say something, but I don't want you to get depressed. I'm a very, I say this every single time. I'm a very positive person. I'm never going to present a problem without a solution. So whenever I say this thing, don't shut down, don't tune out, don't get depressed. There's hope on the other side. Life is hard. Life is just hard. The Bible tells us, it, it practically promises us, it tells us life is going to be hard. It says it in Genesis. Adam and Eve were in the garden. There were two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life and death. They ate of the tree they weren't supposed to eat of. God kicked them out, and he told the woman, you will have pain in birth, and he told the man that you will sweat and you will toil and you'll work the, the ground, and it's going to produce thistles, but you're going to have to really work. It's going to be hard. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, what do, they, what do you think they're going to do to you? <laughs> so life is hard, but sometimes I think as Americans, we somehow... Somewhere, and, and different ones of us to different, you know, greater and lesser degrees, we somehow think our lives should be easy. Some people think life should be easy. They look at the celebrities, they look at the rich and powerful, they look at, at somebody else and they think they've got it all together and they think that person's life is easy, mine should be easy. And so then if you're not careful, you can accidentally slide into a victim mentality of I got a raw deal in life. Somehow my life is harder than what it should be. And let me tell you, you can't be a victim and a victor at the same time. See, you can't be a victim and a victor at the same time. And the danger of the victim mentality is that it takes away all of your power. It takes away all of your control. You have to sit in your little puddle of sadness with all of your tears around you and wait for somebody else to change your life. And see, we can't control what happens to us. 
You're sitting at a stoplight, it's red, you're sitting in your car with your seatbelt on, and some drunk driver plows into you. Six months later, you wake up in the hospital, your car's gone, your house is gone, your job is gone, you've got six broken legs. You can't control what happens to you, but you can absolutely 100% control how you respond to it. You can control how you react. You can absolutely 100% control how you respond. And so I want to just start, when we look at this chapter, life is hard. It's going to be hard. Teach your kids how to overcome things because it's going to be hard. Even the word overcome, even that word means that you've come up over something, that there's been an obstacle, there's been something hard, and you got over it. See, we're always waiting for the breakthrough. That means that you're wanting to break out of something else. You know, we, we talk about crossing the Jordan into our promised land. That means that where you are, the promised land is the, the land of milk and honey, the land of, of great promise and prosperity, right? That means that where you are, it's not. And so life is hard. That's, it's just a reality. It's, it's, that's just what it is. But unlike the world, we have a hope. Unlike the world, we have Jesus. Unlike the world, we have something beyond us that helps us to overcome these obstacles, to overcome the curveballs and the stones and everything else that life tends to throw at our way. And so here in chapter 4, twice, in the first verse and in 16, it says, we do not lose heart. Paul says it twice, which means we want to lose heart which means there's something that we're facing that's causing us to lose heart. But Paul tells us twice, we don't lose heart. Now, you need to know, in this chapter, Paul is looking at his imminent death. He's in prison. He's writing this letter. He's looking at his imminent death. How many of you know we'll all die someday? That's just a reality that we face. One day we will die. How many of you know your whole perspective changes when you know the day that you will die? One, it's just a far-off thing that will happen one day. The other, Paul knew it's coming. Paul knew it was coming, and so he's writing this book in, in that atmosphere. He's writing this letter in the atmosphere knowing that his death is imminent, and it is soon, and it is certain. And so in this, he talks about in, in verse 7, but we have this treasure... In earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. See, we have this treasure. What's the treasure? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is that gospel? It's a gospel of hope. It's a gospel of redemption. It's a gospel of provision. It's a gospel of peace. It's a gospel of joy. It's a gospel of strength. It's a gospel of winning. It's a gospel that says that no matter what comes, I am with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You can come up and not over. The Bible promises us that God says we are to be the head and not the tail. We're to be above and not beneath. We are to be blessed in the morning, blessed in the noontime, blessed in the evening, blessed when we rise up, blessed when we lie down. See, we have a hope. In these earthen vessels, in these, these clay, plain, brown, terracotta pots, there's these emeralds and rubies and diamonds and pearls on the inside of us that give us a hope that when life gets hard, we know this is not all there is. It doesn't end here. And so in verse 8, I love this part. 
In verse 8 says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, we can be hard pressed on every side. Your boss is pressing you. That deadline's looming. That deadline's looming. I need you to work this weekend. I need you to, to work tonight. I need you to work all the time. Work, work, work. I had a manager one time. He worked 90 hours a week. He wanted all of his sales reps to work 90 hours a week. And I mean, he would call you at 10 o'clock at night, at 11 o'clock at night, at 5 in the morning. He wanted you working, working, working. Because how you did as a sales rep reflected on him as a sales manager. And he had no hope. His, his whole life was wrapped up in his career. His whole life was wrapped up in how well he did. He had no hope of Jesus. And so we were hard-pressed. See, some of you guys, you're hard-pressed at work. And then you come home and your wife is hard-pressing you because she wants the bigger house and the better car. And she wants the, those new shoes. And, and then the kids are pressing you because they need new football outfits. And they need new basketball outfits. And they need new gymnastic outfits. And then the dog is pressing you because he's had this growth on the back of his leg. And he's needing to get to the vet. And you don't know how much that's going to cost. And you can say, I may be hard-pressed on every side, yet I am not crushed. And this is how you remain not crushed. You, you, you kiss your wife hello, you pat the kids on the head, you give the dog a little pat, and then you walk into your prayer closet. And you say, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, you will provide everything my family needs. You will provide everything I need. You will provide the peace. You will provide the vision. You will provide the discipline. You will provide the direction. You will say, go this way. No, not that way. And another voice I will not listen to. I will hear your voice, Lord. And I can step out, sure, knowing that this is the way I'm supposed to lead my family. Not crushed. Hard pressed. Not crushed. See, in the world, these kind of things crush people. I'm in nursing school. School starts tomorrow. I graduate in December. Hallelujah. Yes. I know everybody relieves it's the side. It's like everybody's been in school with me. You guys have had to hear all the stories, feel all the stress with me, all the prayer requests. But I'm looking at going into mental health. And so this summer I was listening to a psychologist talking about things and he was saying that there's a difference between, you know, depression and clinical depression. Clinical depression is, is there's actual chemical disruption in the brain that causes it. But he said he has other clients that come in and they say, well, my mom died a year ago and then my dad died six months ago and then, and then my dog died and then my wife left me and I think I'm depressed. And he's like, duh, you've had a hard life. You have a hard year. You're not depressed. You're in grief. And sometimes things in life, they're just hard. But we're not without hope. We're not without a source that's beyond us. See, we have a source on the inside of us. We, we don't just have peace. We have the prince of peace living on the inside of us. See, we don't just have strength. We have the joy of the Lord that is our strength on the inside of us. And so I'm not talking about just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and just by the determination of your own will. But I'm saying by leaning on the cross, leaning on Jesus, relying on the Holy Spirit, we can face anything we have to face in our lives. But there will be things to face. It says we are perplexed but not in despair. 
Has anybody else felt perplexed? I have felt perplexed. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. They want to have a baby born and then five minutes later have a discussion amongst the mother and the father and the doctors and decide if that baby should live. And they want to call that a choice. I'm perplexed. How do you call a child fully formed, on the table, alive, breathing, a choice? And now we decide if this child lives or dies. And we want to say, that's freedom, that's rights, that's a child. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm not in despair. i got to tell you, there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible tells us that. See, child sacrifice and that's what that is. When you have a woman in Hollywood stand up and say, I was pregnant when this movie started, but I chose to have an abortion so I could win this little gold idol. And if I hadn't had that abortion, I wouldn't be winning this right now. That is worship of an idol. That's worship of fame. And that is child sacrifice. It's happening today. It's happened before. It's not like God's going, whoa, that's new. Didn't expect that. They flipped the script. I don't know. How are we going to handle this? God is in control. So I can be perplexed. I can be confused. God, I tithe. I give. I go to church. I worship. How could this happen to me? Perplexed. Confused. Don't understand it. But I'm not in despair. Because I'm not without hope. I have Jesus. I have Jesus, and that makes all the difference. It's not about me and my personal constitution that I'm positive and somebody else is negative. It's that I have Jesus. See, we're persecuted but not forsaken. Christians in America are persecuted. Now, it's not the same kind of persecution that happens in some other countries, but whenever you, whenever you get doxxed, you guys know that term doxxed? It's where they put your personal information on social media so that a mob can then come after you. It's where they go after your employer to get you fired. It's where they come and protest in front of your house. It's where you start getting threats. They're, they're going to kill you. They're going to rape your wife. They're going to rape your children. It's where your, your kids have to get pulled out of school because they're getting so bullied by all the other kids because of what, what's been put out there on social media. This is happening to Christians in America. Businesses are being shut down because advertisers, vendors won't work with them because they're standing for what God has said marriage is, the biblical definition of marriage. Now, in other nations, people are thrown into prison, they're killed, things are happening. But persecution is happening in the U.S., which we never thought we would see. But even in the midst of the persecution, we're not forsaken. We are never, ever forsaken. We're never, ever left. I think of Nora Lamb. She was a woman living in China when the communists took over. Her father was a very successful doctor. And they basically murdered him. They used him as a, as a human guinea pig on some drugs. They murdered him. She was raised in the communist regime. She became a teacher. She had this amazing, amazing encounter with Jesus. She begins to teach the kids about Jesus. So, of course, they arrest her because in communist China, that was not allowed, still isn't allowed. No matter what they try to tell you, it's not allowed. 
So her husband and one of her children got away into Hong Kong freedom. Her other child, her and her mother were stuck. And they tried to shoot her. They tried, they set, they lined her up, had a firing line. A bright light came, bullets went everywhere but in her. And they were like, okay, well, we can't kill her. We're just going to put her in a prison camp. When they put her in the prison camp, she found out she was pregnant. And I mean, this is, this is not like one of our prisons, okay? This is a hard labor camp where they, they feed you basically bread and water. And every day you are physically worked from 13 to 14 to 15 hours and she's pregnant and that baby survives and God gives her a promise your baby will be born in freedom now I've never carried a baby but I've seen you ladies and you're glowing and you're beautiful and you're gorgeous but about that ninth month those little feet begin to swell you're having to go to the bathroom every five minutes because that baby is pressing up against that bladder you're you you you're beautiful, but you kind of get the dark circles because you're not sleeping all that way because, well, because the baby's lying on your back and the sciatic nerve is, is throbbing. And, and, you know, I hear a lot of ladies, I, I cannot wait till this is over. I've enjoyed being pregnant, but I can't wait. Nora Lamb was pregnant for 13 months. A miraculous, miraculous pregnancy. Pregnant for 13. Teen months because she held on to the promise that her child would be born into freedom. And no matter what they put to her, no matter how little they fed her, no matter how hard they worked her, she just began to waddle. They began to call her the old cow because she would just waddle because she's 13 freaking months pregnant. And she's going to hold on to the promise of God. And finally, she had written so many letters, so many miracles were, were beginning to happen around her. They tried to kill her, and that hadn't worked. So finally, they just decided, please leave. We're going to release you. Just go. And so they dropped her off at the border. She had to walk across, I think, a day or two with her young child. And then later, she was able to get the rest of her family. That's persecution, but not forsaken. Not forsaken. He never left her side. He fulfills his promises. So no matter how we're persecuted, no matter what that boss says, no matter what that coworker does, no matter what that spouse does, no matter what your kids do, you know, you raised them up, you raised them up, and then they go off and they get into a lifestyle that's not for Christ. They go off and get into drugs. Guess what? You may be persecuted, but you are not forsaken. You are not without hope. You are not without a cause and a reason to continue to live and get up and praise and worship the God Almighty. We may be struck down, but we're not destroyed. I've been struck down. Have you guys ever been struck down? I mean, Harvey hit. I lost my beautiful, beautiful little $300 a month apartment. Had to go into a $1,200 a month apartment. That's a 400% increase, right? Yeah. Okay. Just, just checking. 400% increase. Struck down. But guess what? Now I'm in a $1,600 townhome, and God is still providing. I'm not destroyed. I'm still believing, and he's still providing. So why do we go through all of this? I mean, is it just so that we can finally, you know, get across the, the finish line and, whoo, made it. Oh, got it done. No, the next verse, 
Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes. See, all things, me being crushed but not destroyed, me being persecuted but not forsaken, me being struck down but not destroyed, all these things, it's, it's not for me, it's for your sakes that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. See, in our society, what are, what are all the movies about? The underdog that ends up rising up above, right? The, what, what do we love? What stories do we love? The poor person who had to overcome bad schools and bad neighborhoods and gangs trying to get them in, and somehow or another they got a, a determination and they got their education and they made it out of the, of the bad neighborhood. We love those overcoming stories. But there's always something to overcome. In, in us, if you look in verse 10, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So how do you have the dying of the body and the manifested life of the body in the same body? Sounds a little bit like Dr. Seuss, right? Death in the body, life in the body, manifest in the body, the body, the body. The Bible says that we're supposed to die to ourself. If we have a thought that somehow life is supposed to be easy, but somehow we've been given a raw deal and now it's hard, it's very easy for us to slip into unforgiveness of that person who hurt us. It's very easy for us to slip into bitterness into anger, into rage, and then it's, it's, you're not too many steps from, from starting, you owe me, the world owes me, and if you don't give it to me, I'm going to take it by force. Are we not seeing that in our world today? A whole generation that somehow think they've gotten some sort of a raw deal because their life isn't just a total smooth thing, and so they've slipped into this bitterness, this anger, and this that you owe me something. But see, the Bible says that we're supposed to die to that. We're supposed to die to unforgiveness. We're supposed to die to our own manipulation, our, our own need of, of wanting the fame. We're supposed to die to ourselves so that the glory of Christ's life may be manifested, not just for us, but for all of those around us. For all those around us. And so you, you've got, again, it's, those, it's that precious treasure in an earthen vessel, you have this seeming paradoxical thing where, where one thing is coming in and then another thing is going out. It actually says in one of these scriptures that we are delivered up to death. I think of it as on a tray, like delivered up to it. What is that? Physical death? No, it's the death of ourself. It's the death of our own ambition, needing to prove that we can make it. It's the death of our own desires of, of wanting to be seen, of wanting that fame, of, of whatever it is, wanting the biggest house on the neighborhood, and wanting the biggest Christmas display on the neighborhood so that everybody walks by and, oh, look at their house. Ooh, that's nice. But it's through the death to ourselves that Jesus' life is manifested, and that then brings others to him. Look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our life is but a blip. 
you realize that this life is temporary. Later on, it says, for the things that are seen are temporary, but it is the things that are unseen that are eternal. We have got, even in the midst of all the chaos and the craziness and the perplexity and the crushing and the hard pressing and the persecution and the struck downness, we have got to keep the perspective that what we do here is so temporary, but it is also important because what we do here determines where and how we live for eternity. Once we die here, we never die again. We live forever. I don't think our minds can even comprehend it, that you will live for millions and billions and trillions and whatever comes after that of years. I mean, you will never die again. But, but for these little 80, 90, 100, 120 years that you're here, although temporary, they are important because based on how you live here, it is building up for yourself and for those around you an eternal reward of glory. Now, I don't do things just for my eternal reward of glory. If That would be dumb. But it would be just as dumb to do things and not realize there is an eternal reward of glory. Like We, we can't go either way. We have to acknowledge both. And while we do not look at the things which are seen, but things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There are things going on in this world that we do not see that are setting people up to live either in heaven or in hell for eternity. For eternity. And we want to argue about whether we should wear a mask or not. We want to get caught up in the, in the pettiness of, you know, going out to eat or not going out to eat or whatever. And, and, and look, I realize there's political ramifications and there's things in the political realm that then can, can maneuver and, and affect other things. I'm, I'm not trying to belittle any of that. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Once you leave here inside, wear a mask just for everybody else. But the point is we, we get so caught up in the minutia of, of daily things, little squabbles, little, little irritations, little things that just, just bother us. You know, all the single people want to be married. All the married people, I won't say they want to be single, but they might be looking at that spouse going, death do you part might come sooner than later if you leave your socks one more time, buddy. I'm just saying. But we just, we get caught up in all these little squabbles. And, and we, we forget that there's an unseen realm that's affecting eternity for millions of people. And it's millions of people that are alive today, and it's millions of people that will be alive after we're gone, and then after we're gone, and then after they're gone. See, it's a ripple effect. See, in the 1970s, there was this beautiful Catholic family named the Pizzatolas, <laughs> and Mary Teresa Pizzatola went to a Bible study and she got saved. And because she got saved, her husband got saved. And because her husband got saved, her daughter got saved. And because her daughter got saved, I got saved. And because I got saved, some kids in Mozambique got saved. And see, because those kids in Mozambique got saved, some kids in Rwanda got saved. You see, it's not just about what we do today. It's about a lasting legacy that 
praises the name of Jesus. And so we've got to keep the right perspective. Life is hard. It's, the devil is mean. He does not fight fair. He will kick you while you were down. He will do everything in his power to stop you. And so just get ready for it. You know, I'm not trying to speak curses or self-fulfilling prophecies. I'm not welcoming anything. I once heard about a silly young girl that was praying for a thorn in the side because she wanted to be like Paul. It's like, oh, you poor little thing. You don't need to pray for it. It will find you. See, we don't have to pray for diversity that we can bring glory to God. Diversity will find us, no problem, okay? But we have to keep it in the right perspective, we are never alone. We are not without hope. We are not without a, a way to, to get over these things, to overcome them. And what we do here determines eternity, not just for us, but for others. And that's what it's about. Paul said it. It's for your sakes. This light affliction, this temporary thing. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your life, if you've never surrendered your life, if you've never asked for forgiveness and received forgiveness for your sins and surrendered your life, today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Do not think, oh, later, let me think about it. Do it today because we never know when our day is. And I'm not trying to scare you, but it's just a reality. If you're here and you felt perplexed, you felt crushed, you felt hard-pressed, you felt destroyed. First of all, repent. Why should I repent? I, I didn't control that. But you controlled your response, and you may not have necessarily believed all the promises of God. And so we've got to repent for that because he's given them to us. Over and over and over again, he has given them to us. And so we repent for that. And so, Lord, we just, I praise you and I thank you, Jesus you are almighty. You have not left us. You have not forsaken us. You will not leave us weak and alone. And so, Lord, we repent for despairing. We repent for fearing. We repent for hopelessness whenever you have already given us hope. And, Lord, I ask this morning that wherever we are short, that you fill the gap. You fill the gap. Jesus, you filled the gap in the temple between the, the horns of the altar and the holy of holies. You filled the gap between our sin and God's holiness. Jesus, you are a gap filler. That's, that's who and what you are. And so I ask that any gap in our faith, any gap in our minds, any gap in our thinking, any gap in our emotions, any gap in our bodies, Lord, that you would touch us there and bring yourself just bring you. You are healing. You are hope. You are peace. You are strength. You are provision. You are everything we need. And so we ask you to come. Encounter us. Touch us. Change us. Let us leave here different than the way we came in. Maybe we came in with fear, but let us leave with boldness. Maybe we came in with lack, but let us leave with plenty. And so, Lord, I thank you for that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.